Welcome to Leap Into Your Story podcast, where you discover your inner story, break down the process, and meet others who've done it so you can leap into your own story. We interview amazing guests who provide powerful insights that inspire you to get your story told. Be sure to visit our website at leapintoyourstory.com, and while you're there, subscribe and like us via your favorite social media network. Now sit back, get ready to take some notes, and let's get started. This episode of Leap Into Your Story podcast is brought to you by Leap Into Your Story course. Visit leapintoyourstory.com where you have a guide to get your story told. I'm Victoria Anderson and welcome to Leap Into Your Story podcast where you discover your inner story work through the process, and meet others who've done it. We interview amazing guests who provide powerful insights that will inspire you to leap into your own story. So be sure to visit our website at leapintoyourstory.com. And while you're there, subscribe and like us via your favorite social media networks. So let's get started. In this episode, we're going to find out about Imagining a Second Chance for Humanity. My guest today is Laura Ramnaris. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Ramnaris, yeah. <laughs> thank you. Uh, in, thank you. In addition to writing, she's a mediator and educator. She also hosts the show Resilient Voices for Kuru Radio based out of Silver City, New Mexico. So Laura, welcome and thanks for joining us today. So let us know a little bit uh, more about yourself and your writing journey. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, um, my writing journey. Well, I, you know, my earliest thought of being an author was when I was about 10 and uh, one of my teachers had us all write a little story and then had us make a uh, cover with fabric and cardboard and stuff. And that was the first time that I, I realized that writers are actual people, that it's a thing that people do because I've always loved books and reading Um, But it seemed like this sort of magical thing that just happened. But I really didn't do much with it. I mean, I've always written, you know, here and there. Of course, I had to do writing for school and and whatnot as I got older. But I I'd never explored the territory of fiction before until um, my the first story that I wrote was actually uh, one that I have not published because, frankly, it wasn't that good. <laughs> but it was great practice, and it was that story as well as this, uh, you know, the Sung Home trilogy that uh, that we're here about uh, came from a place of of just something I needed to see in the world. So the first book that I wrote that I didn't publish was about uh, a situation where I'd heard about a mining thing that was going to happen on this indigenous land. And I, I just felt really upset about it and wanted to imagine a way through that and wrote a whole story imagining people responding to that. And then 
this story, Sung Home, the Sung Home series. I'll just, so this is the first book, Sung Home. Came about because I was going through a period of just feeling really overwhelmed by all the horrible things that are happening in the world, you know, the, the killings of people by police and climate change that it seems like we're not really getting a grip on, um, missing and murdered Indigenous women, et cetera, et cetera. And it just seems like there is so much happening and it's all so important. You know, what do we do about it? And although I've really enjoyed a lot of the dystopian series, you know, like the Hunger Games and Allegiant and, and some of those and some of the older ones, you know, um, Handmaid's Tale and whatnot. What I needed was a story of surviving and, and thriving after collapse, societal collapse. And really it became, <laughs> I started writing out of a need just for my own mental health, my ability to function. And then I got more and more into the story and it kept expanding. And, and that became Sung Home. I thought it was just gonna be a little, like a short story or at the most a novella. But then that, that world and the characters and the specific things that they were doing to survive this terrible situation that they're in uh, kept growing. You know, I became more engaged imaginatively, started looking things up. And really, it's pretty amazing to realize we actually have everything that we need to survive even a terrible catastrophe, like I describe in, in the stories. And... So for, <laughs> I'm sure most of your listeners haven't read my book. So it starts off with a story with a young woman who is escaping a, a compound where she's been held captive after society has collapsed on the heels of, coincidentally, a worldwide pandemic. Now, the funny thing is that Sung Home was published in July of 2019. And I started the, the story, I started the writing years before that. And it was just kind of an amazing coincidence to, you know, to have COVID show up a few months later. But anyway, so this young woman, you know, uses, uses a song that her mother sang to her to get herself to her grandmother's home. And the song is a song line that's based, if you are familiar with the work of Bruce Chatwin, he wrote a book called Song Lines, and it was based on the uh, cultural feature in Australian Aboriginal cultures of using songs as maps so that somebody could, could learn a song, say, from a grandparent and maybe that grandparent had never gone to that place, but by singing that song, they could make their way through the landscape to this place, maybe hundreds of miles away. And I was fascinated by that when I read the book a long time ago. And so I incorporated that into it. And then it just sort of took off from there. Wow, that's quite the journey. So 
that kind of dives into um, the question I was going to have you is, is where do you draw your inspiration? So is it, um, you know, ancient cultures or is it out of the uh, current turmoil? So where, where specifically, where's the pool that really kind of sparks you um, to write these series? Yeah, well, the, the details of the stories come from just things I've encountered in life, things I've learned, things I've experienced. So, for instance, in the stories, the, this main character, Lakshmi, uses um, skills that she learned from her father, and they're wilderness living skills. And that came from a time when I was in my 20s and spent a lot of time with people who were teachers of uh, primitive living skills, fire by friction and tracking and temporary shelter building, finding water, that kind of stuff. And I never got into it enough to be any good at any of it, but I learned about it. And so I brought that into this story. Another thing was, uh, so in the stories, there's these caves where people are living. And that sounds, it brings up images of, you know, the grunting, hairy guy, and, you know, the dirt on the ground, and it's all rocky and stuff like that. But the inspiration uh, for their actual homes, which are beautiful, came from an experience I had a long time ago, when I was living in Santa Fe and I was having a, a, just a hard time in my life right then. And my boyfriend at the time said, you know what, we're going to take tomorrow off and there's someplace I'm going to take you. And what happened, he wouldn't tell me where we were going, but he drove us up to Embudo Station up along the highway to Taos and pulled off and took me first through some farmland that was right by the river and then straight out into the desert. And there was nothing out there. There was this little light path that apparently people had been walking upon, but that's it. And after we had been walking for a long time, he stopped and looked around and said, do you notice anything? And I'm really unobservant out in the wilderness. I'm just not. And I, I saw something that just struck me so oddly. And it was a piece of round plexiglass just set in the side of this hill, which didn't make any sense to me. And he looked at me and nodded and walked me around the side of the hill. And there was a door set in the side of the hill. It was like a hobbit door. Opened it up and we walked into this hill that had been carved by this sculptor called Ra Paulette. He's from the Imbudo Dixon area, and he has, if, if you Google him, just Ra, R-A, Paulette Caves. If you do a Google image search, you are going to be blown away by what you find. And that was my inspiration for the homes that this one group of people are, are living in, because it was go gorgeously carved, comfortable, serene. So that's where that inspiration came from. So it's really just a lifetime of this experience and that experience. And I just think, oh, maybe there's something I could do with that. Maybe that could fit into the story. Wow. Yes. 
I know there's, um, I think, a misconception about ancient times and primitive that they think that they're just very plain and blah and every day is just a focus, but they really capture beauty around them. And um, in a little way, we should be a little envious is our brick and mortar um, homes aren't anything compared to the landscape of the beauty of nature. Yes. And, you know, there's this, this myth, I think, this mythology that is contained in a lot of the dystopian stories. And that is the idea that if we no longer had everything, all of the modern things that we have now in the big cities and, you know, everything like that, that life would be really grim and miserable and deprived. And, you know, that's not, not really true. I mean, ancient civilizations, there's amazing cities that, that were built and people live these beautiful lives without all of this intense technology. And I'm not anti-technology. It's just, I, I want people to imagine things being really good Maybe with a combination of old knowledge and new knowledge, because in the stories there are, you know, technological things that people use to sort of live better and more lightly at the same time. Well, that kind of ties into my next question I was going to ask you, which is what, what is it about post-apocalyptic scenarios that, you know, uh, drive you to writing about that? Yeah, I think it's just because I'm so uh, I'm so worried that that's what we're going to end up with, and I need to believe. I have a strong desire, strong need to believe that there's a way through it for humanity, and I'm not. It's not because I'm sure that that's true. It's because I really want that to be true. And if, I, if we can imagine something, maybe we can create it. And in fact, we can't create anything that we don't even try to imagine. And that is true you know, throughout history and including all of our technological advances and, and um, art. You know, art has changed over you know, the millennia. Two, there's this evolution in imagination and it changes how we are in the world and what we imagine to be possible, what we understand to be possible. Nice. Now, I'm a little curious, your main character, is there parts of you in her or things about her you wish you could be? Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that that's probably a really common thing. Um, for one, being, you know, 16 again, and having that set of skills that she does in the story would be pretty cool. But um, yeah, I'm a mixed race, a South Asian and European ancestry. And so I, I kind of insert that into her background a little bit. She's got an, an Indian grandmother that's referred to, but she doesn't, it doesn't show up in her that much. So um, in terms of how she looks, but so there's that. And 
yes, in some ways she's like, I, I wish I were more, which is very, you know, so resourceful and strong and capable. And I really like to, you know, project that, that image out there for, for young women. You know, I want young women to be able to see themselves that way. You know, when I was young, there, there were very few stories of young women who were capable. They were always sort of the, they were the, like the girlfriend, you know, or whatever of the, the character who was really interesting and, and that kind of thing. And that's changed a lot, thank goodness, over the decades. And uh, I, I'm really happy to be a part of that. Nice. Yes, I agree. There, I think the big story or the big genre out there, and of course I'm dating myself, was like the Nancy Drew series. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. And still there was a lot of focus on, you know, boys and looking yeah. pretty and, and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Yes. But she, I mean, I, I'm sure that's why those books were so loved. I mean, besides mm-hmm. being good stories that it, Girls were drawn to characters that were um, strong and capable. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about your series. And what are some of the main messages of your story, like key um, ahas that you would like to have your readers expect and experience in them what are what are they what are those underlining messages i think one of the underlying messages is that we can create a better world we can create a better life we can deal with the very real challenges because the books are not all just happiness and joy even though i want them to be ultimately uh optimistic and positive. They also contain a lot of genuine uh, obstacles, struggles for individuals and for the communities that are depicted. And, you know, it's struggle. So I come a lot at these stories from a perspective of a social scientist because I am one. I have a master's degree in conflict resolution I've been working for more than 20 years doing conflict resolution work, including mediation, including educating people about uh, human behavior and, and, you know, how to develop the skills to do that better. (laughs) And what I know is that truly in the face of catastrophe and history tells us this also that I mean, there's always going to be some people who lose it in a really bad way and cause harm and commit violence and take advantage of the situation um, in a really selfish manner. And but most people really want to help make things better for everybody. They want to figure out how to keep people fed and housed and safe. And that's, that's really, that's reality. That is what humans are more likely to do. So I, I kind of feel discouraged by, you know, some of the stories that show just death and destruction after some kind of, 
you know, calamity has hit humanity. Because that's, that's actually not realistic. No, we, we know from the thousands of years of history that people try to pull it together and try to help each other. Absolutely, I, I agree. Um, and, and I think what comes out of some of the horrific stuff is the amazing humanity stories of courage where ordinary people have been catapulted into extraordinary situations and they themselves come sometimes out of it realizing I didn't think I had it in me, which brings me to my next question um, about, I know you had mentioned you kind of had written the books as therapy of some sort, (laughs) but what was something that you discovered about yourself after you've written these books that you didn't realize before? Oh, that's a great question. I realized that I could take on a huge writing project and pull it off. I mean, I, (laughs) the longest thing I'd ever written before was maybe a 30 page paper or actually my, my uh, master's capstone project was the longest, but that's different, you know, right. To me, writing nonfiction is easier than writing fiction. So, and I realized how much fun it is to lose yourself in a story of your own creation, because then you can, you can have it do anything when you're reading someone else's book. And I've been a reader my whole life. You're getting pulled along with their uh, vision and, and their sense of what's interesting and fun. So it's really fun. And it's a tremendous amount of work. I mean, anybody who imagines that they would like to be a writer, really, I would say you have to really like that process. You have to enjoy that process. It has to feel at least like a certain amount of fun. It can't be just work or you're never going to get there. And there's no reason you should just find something else to do that you really do love doing because there's lots of things to be done in life. I agree. Yes, I I know that whole entire feeling of a big project. Uh, I actually started out doing fiction and then I was kind of drawn to tell my story. And my story now covers three books. <laughs> wow. The big joke, running joke that you'll see throughout my podcast is the, I don't write the memoir. I'm, I write the memoir series. <laughs> and that's fabulous. Touched, yes. And my, thank you. And, and my first book touched was 500 pages originally. But when I signed on um, with a publisher, they want it. They're like way too much. So it's been chopped down. Um, they had chopped down and then they went belly up. So um, mm. I had to kind of cut and paste and patch things of what their editor did my own, you know, worked with another editor on my own and got it, whittled it down to 330 pages. <laughs> but then it, it created another book which was, again, close to 
300 pages, which is the trial by fire. And by the final book, which is mastering the paradox, that that's a whole whopping 157. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. And now I'm, now I'm having questions for you. You know, it sounds like you had it come in uh, pieces and they all kind of have their same, their own theme. They do. Well, my mind really kind of talk, I mean, I've lived many lives. So, you know, I came out of the corporate world. I've done, I've been international ceramic artist writer, real estate, uh, now podcast host, uh, teaching courses. So yes, it's just kind of um, evolved into different journeys, but they all ended up the same, they, they landed in the same spot, goes back to writing, which is something I always had been passionate about. And um, even though I've started out in fiction, you've never seen any of my fiction books because I had just given up on them. I didn't think that there was any real, you know, anything potentially for me. So the nonfiction books have made me revisit some of the storylines. And so those will be out uh, in the fall. <laughs> wow, that's exciting. <laughs> Yeah, and there's something um, that that you're describing, I think, that that I really relate to, and that is sort of following following your nose, following your inspiration. I mean, I've done a lot of different things in my life, um, not necessarily for money per se or whatever, but I'm really drawn to learning different skills. So I do a lot of stuff with my hands, for instance. I've done tons of beadwork stained glass tile mosaic I made uh books you know like little little blank books with handmade covers and everything too um loads of stuff like that I worked in the nonprofit world and and also you know I have my job as a mediator for the state right now but um writing I'm ex- I'm experiencing much like another kind of craft project <laughs> You know, it's got a lot of the same elements in it. You know, yeah, I, I, my process is that I start off with an idea and I start writing it. And then as I'm going, I'll think, oh, now, wait a minute, maybe it should go this way. This would be better. And then I have to back up and rewrite uh, some of the earlier stuff so that it lines up with the new idea and all. So I'm more in process than uh, plotting everything everything out ahead of time. And that's true with all of my crafts stuff that I do as well. Well, things evolve. They like you might do an outline, but when you dive into the story or, you know, and and I even noticed that with just writing memoir or nonfiction, even I've done corporate training manuals and sometimes you just discover a better way to tell your story, your process <laughs> that you didn't, you never thought about, and it just evolves uh-huh. um, in in the work. Yeah, I get I just and this it kind of drives me crazy, but I have to go with it. I'll be lying there, go, drifting off to sleep at the end of a long day, totally happy about going to sleep, and 
I'll, my mind will go to some part of the story that I'm working on and then some other idea comes. And sometimes it's whole chunks of dialogue or a whole scene. It just pops up alive. And I have to get up and write it down because if I don't, I forget it. The next day I'm like, oh, I remember vaguely having an idea <laughs> and that's it. And um, so I don't know, it's just sort of the, the mysterious kind of wonderful, sometimes torturous process of creative, creativity. Yeah. Yes. I, and I am notorious for getting my best insights while I'm busy doing something else. Uh-huh. All the time. Isn't that so interesting? I'm, mm-hmm. Well, you, it's, there's a lot of, the mind is a funny thing. <laughs> if you yes. over focus on something, it doesn't like that. But if you plant enough seeds and then go work on another part of the garden. The mm-hmm. that where you're like, I'm giving up. I've nurtured it. I've put the water. I put the fertilizer. Nothing's blooming. I'm just gonna go try something else. And then no sooner you do that, you start seeing budding coming up. I call it budding. Yeah, uh, I think there's something to that. We got to give it a little bit of space. As yeah, well. and it has to digest process, manifest, bloom. I don't know if there's something about that. And some of the, I would say a good chunk of my books, well, I wouldn't say the, not books, but I would definitely say book two, I was working a job that paid me so well, but I just hated every breathing moment of it. And the more... I couldn't stand being there. The more it was like a volcano eruption of where I wanted to take that book. I almost couldn't even take it down. I had to keep a spiral notebook with me all the time just to try to keep up with what it, what was flowing out. And I realized now I don't have to work because somewhere I had programmed that if you, if you're miserable, it, it seems I be seem to be more creative <laughs> and I had to change that mindset. So now I just understand that for me, I now just work multiple projects and, yeah. you know, to take the energy off too too much of focus where it almost smothers it, give it some airtime, right? Let it uh, seed, all the seeding, watering, and fertilizing, let it do its thing. Don't go back and try to undo the seedlings and just work on something else. And then sure enough, it'll come up and manifest what what I feel is a better way to tell that story or create a, a, a character that's needed in, say, a fiction one. So, yeah, I'm a big advocate of keeping either dictation. I like to write stuff down, but even in my courses, I'll, I'll have a section about the mindset and be prepared for that burst of creativity because once you wait until you sit down and try to write it out, it's going to be gone. You got to capture it in the moment. Oh, yeah. I do that. I, I have a notebook on my bed also that I'll just write a note if I just have 
an idea, you know, that's not really fleshed out. I'll make a note of it there. Yeah. 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 I think you're right. I think the, the subconscious is really powerful that way. If we give it a job to do, but don't keep looking over its shoulder all the time, mm-hmm. it can uh, just pop up well, stuff. For us. If you think about it, I, nobody likes to be micromanaged. So <laughs> not in the conscious world usually. Yeah. So that makes a whole lot of sense for the unconscious world too. Nobody yeah. likes a micromanager. <laughs> yeah. Even for I, a good cause, I, nobody likes micromanaging. I, I think uh, for me anyway, my conscious mind is more rigid or limited in terms of, you know, how things should be done. If my conscious mind were the, the one in charge of everything, everything would, it would just come out more brittle and stiff and, and like that. Um, so it, it, it's a good team, <laughs> the conscious and con- un- subconscious mind. But the subconscious mind is where the real rich stuff comes from. And then the conscious mind is the one that says, okay, I'm going to write from two to four today and sit down and just do that. <laughs> I can try, but it doesn't happen. (laughs) Yeah. Usually when I try to time block, I'm I'll edit instead of um, actually writing because the Mm. creative spurt just happens to come and go as it pleases. Whereas, and, but at sometimes, and I had a conversation with one of my other guests that we talked about where the, creative process is the left side of the brain and then the editing is the right side of the or the um, opposite the right side is the left and left is whatever which one I think it's the left brain that's the creative and the right side that's the logical um, the editor so yeah it's a different part of your brain yeah that mm-hmm. makes sense yeah and I think you know is there was somebody who was recently asking me about, you know, my writing process and stuff. And she's a new writer. And once I, I first really got into this, I started watching a lot of YouTube videos on writing, you know, do's and don'ts and interviews with famous authors and stuff like that. And, uh, and there is, you know, good advice out there. But really, the bottom line is that everybody has their own process. And so, I found that if I try some of the things that some of these other people have described, sometimes it's helpful for me and sometimes it's just not because there's a big thing out there that you have to write every single day and I don't and I don't need to. I need to write consistently. It makes a big difference, I should say, if I write pretty consistently, like I'm kind of in this, this groove, you know, even if it's kind of in the back of my mind while I'm doing all my other stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah. And that's, I, maybe that's part of the, the process, the internal process is learning for, you know, myself, what really works for me and, and what doesn't, you know, and, and I don't think there's just one little rule book for everybody. I agree. Yeah. I, I try to encourage those to at least what I call touch their writing every day. So if you're, if you try to get maybe a few words, a few sentences, 
edit what you've already done a little bit, think about ideas. I think that's, you know, I find that's what works for me. That may or may not work for everybody, but just like anything else, if you do a little bit every day, you're going to see big results. Yes. Yeah. And I think that consistency is important. And I, I like what you're saying about, um, you know, that it doesn't all have to be sitting down and writing new paragraphs and stuff. Sometimes it's, it can be going, well, actually right now what I'm doing, I'm working on book number three. I'm about halfway through the first draft and I had some ideas, you know, of something I wanted to infuse through the, the chapters that I've already written. And so I'm going back and just taking it like one paragraph at a time and just trying to relax into it. I think definitely getting anxious about it doesn't help, (laughs) you know, paradoxically, it's like the more that I really feel like I want to get something right, that it it just makes it harder. So it is. And for me, I always joke about, I think I need the 12 step program to stop editing because oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. I now I encourage in my courses to just do an info dump, but it's probably, you know, I need to let that uh, settle in. And I've done that uh, for many years as a writer for 20 years, but sometimes I'll look at something and the word is not wrong, but certainly words carry a better impact. So there's days where I just go in there and just check my words. Yeah, I don't I may uh-huh. not just write but or necessarily edit. I mean it's still in the the editing vein that I need to let up about. But I'll just check to to feel feel into those words to see if those are the right word choices that yeah. match the impact I want to do in that sentence. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. So every time I reread a a piece, a section, there'll be those kind of details will pop out for me. I'll be like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. And like you said, it's not a wrong sentence. It's just I think, oh, if I use this word instead, that'll convey the more of the the feeling that I'm trying to convey here. Yeah. Right. And especially if you're writing about a certain emotionally charged or, um, you know, trauma uh, scenarios, the white, the right word choice can just excel the reader to the next level. Yeah, it, it. it can, it can make a powerful difference for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. Yes. So it looks like we talked about a little bit of our little secret tips that we recommend and (laughs) what I want to dive into a little bit more um, about maybe some tips that you can provide to our listeners who are interested in maybe doing the dystopic or the uh, apocalyptic books. What are some of the tips that, that young or new or even seasoned authors who might want to explore that genre, what can you suggest as some tips to help with those stories? Well, 
Um, I think, and I don't know that this is particular to dystopian work, but you know, thinking about the kind of world you're creating uh, and maybe doing a little background research, if you want to include technology, maybe new technologies, go and, and look up some stuff on emerging technologies. You know, what is, what is out there that, that the scientists are thinking, okay, we don't have this yet, but we think it can be done, you know, uh, for instance. And also, definitely, if you, wherever you're setting your story, if it's a real place that actually exists, really find out about that place. It really is better, I think, to use places that you're familiar with. A friend of mine was just telling me about reading a story that was set in the Silver City area. I'm in the Silver City area, area of Gila. And she said, it wasn't at all like it is here. And I just thought, well, why, why would you do that? Why would you set a story someplace that you're not familiar with, you know? Um, yeah, so... I don't know. I, if you have any more specific questions, I can certainly try to answer those. Well, so basically maybe sticking to or starting with writing with what you're familiar with. Um, what about any tips that you have found to be helpful, say, when you were getting started that uh, you would recommend to other authors? Gosh, be kind to yourself, come up with a plan of action, you know, maybe like you said, like writing every day or attending in some way to your, to your writing, you know, maybe not every day, but really consistently, maybe mark it on a calendar, you know, make a commitment to that and um, let go of the idea that you have to write the best thing ever written. You know, I mean, even if it's not your first thing, because our first things are not usually that great. <laughs> it's like, for me, my first novel, the one that I didn't publish, was pr- a practice novel. And I spent hundreds of hours on that. I spent years playing with it. And uh, I mean, it only took me maybe six months to write the first draft, but then I kept reworking, reworking, reworking. I developed the skills of writing. There's no substitute for practicing the skills of writing. And there are some things that will, I think, will come, you know, more easily, certain aspects of it. Maybe some of us are really good at dialogue, and some of us are really good at description, and some of us are good at, you know, plotting in a, in a way that that is really strategic, but you kind of need all of those skills. So just notice what feels really good and easy to you and enjoy that. And, you know, maybe make a commitment to developing the areas that you're, you know, that you struggle with. One of my things, especially with my first book was to have, I had way too many characters. I had just a zillion characters and I didn't understand about how to, um, brings just some characters, the main characters, 
more into focus and have the other characters be more in the background. And so that, you know, that difference in focus um, is important. So it's just, it's something, it doesn't feel easy to me. I'm constantly, you know, fretting about, <laughs> about that. <clears throat> so there's a few ideas. Okay. So just to recap, talking about writing what you know. Uh, be kind to yourself while you are in the process. Um, be committed to your writing uh, journey and have realistic expectations and also just continuously improve areas maybe where you struggle, whether it be dialogue or characters. And lastly, enjoy the journey. Did I get them all? That's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's great. Good. I wish I should write that down <laughs> for future reference for myself. Well, I'm going to capture those out on the social media platform. So I'll, I'll blast those out. So if you miss them or if you want, you can, when uh, this airs, we can certainly write those down as well for yourself. <laughs> But oh, thank you. Those are great tips, and I'll be sure to share them on our uh, social media with your uh, is Laura's tips for success <laughs> in writing. How's that? <laughs> that sounds great. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, Laura, it brings me to my final question. And where can we find more about you? Where are your books? Do you have a website that our readers can go to to find out more? You know, I don't have a website yet, and I am thinking seriously about doing that. I'm a little bit um, slow on jumping into that stuff because I like the writing part the best. But you, I do have a Facebook page, and it's called Sung Home. And my books can be found, of course, on Amazon, but also um, there's a, a bookstore in Silver City, if you're local to the area, called O'Keefe's Bookstore that has my books. And you can get them from me directly. I'll just mail them out to you. Um, my email address is L-R-A-M-N-A-R-A-C-E at gmail.com. So um, there's, let's see, there's opposite books in Santa Fe also has my, has my books and organic books in Albuquerque. And there's another one that I'm forgetting. So you have uh, your books locally in, in New Mexico. So that's nice. You have small mom and pop local business bookstore. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll be honest, I didn't realize there was a whole lot li list of them. I'm going to have to explore. There's some great <laughs> small bookstores in New Mexico. Albuquerque has several. Santa Fe has at least a couple. Taos, Silver City. Those are the places I'm most familiar with, and I'm sure there's others. Well, I've heard of them, but I haven't heard of these, so I'm a little surprised. I'm going to research those uh, as well, and maybe I can post that uh, on the website, on my website, for 
readers who are local to check out some local business as well. Yeah. Very nice. Well, Laura, it's been a pleasure to interview today. And I want to thank you for joining us. And for our our readers and listeners, thank you for tuning into Leap Into Your Story podcast, where you discover your inner story, work through the process, and meet others who've done it so you can be guided to your journey to writing your own story. Remember to visit our website at leapintoyourstory.com and enjoy even more great episodes like this one. And again, while you're there, subscribe and like us via your favorite social media networks. We're looking forward to seeing you next time here on the Leap Into Your Story podcast. Thank you for tuning into the Leap Into Your Story podcast, where you discover your inner story break down the process, and meet others who've done it so you can leap into your own story. Remember to visit our website at leapintoyourstory.com and enjoy even more great episodes like this one. Again, while you're there, subscribe and like to us via your favorite social media network. We're looking forward to seeing you next time on the Leap Into Your Story podcast.